Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. Todd Buckingham here. Joining me, Greg Steeman and Zach Dosh. And we're going to jump right into the podcast this week. We're going to start out talking Ken Palm ratings. And then uh, we're going to talk Greg. First time ever, I think we got Greg to actually rank the teams. So we'll talk about our rankings, why we think teams will be where where we have them. And uh, we also have an interview with uh, Coach Jeff Wobrin from Denver today. So all sorts of stuff packed in. And, and we'll jump right in. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode and and uh excited to be here glad to be here too i think it's gonna be a fun one we uh had to tweet out our our picks here and so a little disagreement here so plenty to discuss hopefully not so much agreement tonight yeah i have venom ready so. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> often been described when i've said stuff venom um not actually hardly ever but uh uh, let's start out with the Ken Palm rankings. They just came out this week, uh, just a couple days ago, the initial rankings. I, and I'll just list off the 10, and you guys can give me some of your thoughts as we go. They they do somewhat mirror what the predictions for the, the preseason rankings were for the writers and the coaches. We have Oral Roberts at 120, South Dakota State at 131, South Dakota at 164, North Dakota State 206, Denver 254, St. Thomas, 274, Western Illinois, 287, Kansas City, 295, Omaha, 330, and North Dakota, 335. Uh, I'll give a quick initial reaction, and then you guys go from there. I, I'm sort of surprised that uh, Oral Roberts and South Dakota State weren't uh, closer to top 100. What yeah, are your guys' I, thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, South Dakota State and particularly Oral Roberts, you know, South Dakota State lived uh, inside the top 100 for most of last year. Um, you know, Max Aismas coming back, all this and that. I would think they'd be in there. Uh, and so for those of you that aren't as familiar with Ken Palm, it's pretty well strictly analytical. And so I did some poking around out there today just to try to see if I could find exactly what their formula is. Um I, I didn't really, I couldn't really find that, you know, how do they factor in exact uh, impact of players coming and going? I know they do try to give a power rating uh, ranking uh, based on their schedule. I, I, it is heavily weighted towards the schedule. These teams actually have to play, which is kind of nice. Um, you don't see that a whole lot, but that's just a little bit of background as to where these numbers are coming from. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and I think it's, I mean, the Ken Palm ratings, as much as he gets a lot of credit for a lot of different things, his ratings, I think, increase in value throughout the course of the season. I think yeah. he is no different than any other preseason poll. It's all it's a, a great deal of it is subjective. As, as Zach mentions, there's there's strength of schedule involved in that. But uh, that doesn't really play into anything at this point until we start to see some results. So I don't put a, a ton of value on it but i think it, i mean it, it has it, it has validity from the standpoint of what people lost what people have coming back and so uh it, it's as it's as valuable as any other preseason poll at this point in time in my opinion yeah that's a very good point and that's kind of what i was trying to get to is that ken palm is largely it's it's extremely analytical there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can go on uh, like the adjusted offense adjusted defense um and, and then they, they rake teams based off that but you're right the more sample size they have to pull from, the more accurate it normally becomes. So obviously it's it's weakest up front. 
um, like pretty much all projections are. And so that's largely where this comes from. It's not subjective at all, pretty much. And so it's just one thing to be considered, like all this stuff. You know, there isn't one overarching uh, right thing other than my rankings. But it in this case, <laughs> but but in this in this case, it's something to just be, you know, it it means something. It certainly doesn't mean everything. Yeah. Yeah. One of one of the things that is always interesting to me, I don't know, because using analytics, how in the world do you use analytics to decide where Kansas City and Omaha should be? Yeah, There's, yeah, exactly. We, we can talk yeah. season sample size, but they don't even have roster sample size. Exactly. That's what I tried to dig in because I was just like, well, did they? Because as I'm trying to put together my rankings, it's just like, geez, you know, how how do you look at it? Is there some way that I'm missing to kind of analyze this? You know, like like you said, with Kansas City being at 295, a totally different roster, totally different coaching staff. I just wonder if they just threw a dart at a board or something. I, I don't really know. Um, I do know that their, their schedule is a tad softer, and I think that kind of plays into it. And that's where I was going with this is sort of based off of what they're anticipating to finish the end of the year at with the schedule that they have to play. Um, So that, that does really factor in, but um, like Greg said, towards the end of the year, or at least halfway through the year, when you start to see some of these adjusted defensive, adjusted offensive three point shooting metrics out there, it can really mean something. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that is kind of interesting to me and, and Greg, were you going to say something before I jumped in? No, you go ahead. One thing that was interesting to me is there is a team with a decent amount of roster sample size, and they're at 335, if I remember mm-hmm. what I said, um, mm-hmm. North Dakota. So we had had that mm-hmm. debate a couple podcasts ago. You know, they're returning actually quite a bit of minutes this year in North mm-hmm. Dakota, and, and but that's also a team that only won two league games last year. So what does that mean when you have continuity and, and – uh, but it's a lot of the same and that that same struggled. And mm-hmm. clearly Ken Palm thinks that that same is going to lead to similar results this season. Yeah. So as you're talking, I was just pulling it up here. So they're, they're currently preseason 335. They finished last year at 348. So wow. um, they moved up some, um, not as much, you know, again, uh, nothing to get too carried away about. But, um, you know, we always got to keep an eye on Ken Palm. It, it's good stuff. Well, heck, we need something, you know, it's, yeah. it's something that ranks everybody. It at least gives you something to try to gauge off of. Yeah. I mean, this is overanalyzing season. This is what we do. It's the only thing we have. So we're going to do it. <laughs> so, so going from the guy in Ken Pomeroy that spends probably his entire time um, figuring out these rankings to me, who goes, all right, I think the 10 will go like this. And that's about how long I think about it. I'm just kidding. It's a little longer than that. Let's get into our rankings. Um, and I thought, we would, you know, I'm not going to name off all of our 10 in a row because I'd get confused doing that. So I thought I would start with some talking points and by all means, you guys jump in with some as well. I'm going to start at the top though. Zach, you and I have Oral Roberts at the top and Greg, you have South Dakota State. And I think Greg, you even had South Dakota State with only two league losses. Uh, let's start, Greg, with you. Why, why do you think South Dakota State ends up there? Well, um I guess I look at it and the way I kind of, I, I factor these things in. I, I went through the schedule, the entire schedule today and did my gut reaction picks and then, and then added up the schedule afterwards and looked at it. And um, I, I know that South Dakota state lost two uh, high level players, two first team, all league players. And uh, 
but I, but I also think that they bring back as much roster balance as anybody in the league. I think they bring back as much experience. Um, for gosh sakes, uh, Dentlinger and, and, and Sucre will both be teaching classes at South Dakota State and North Dakota this fall. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I just I just look at what they brought back. And I also think just uh, it, it's hard to undervalue that, in my opinion. I know that ORU has a talented roster. There's no question about it. But there's something I, 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 I guess I put a, a great value on the completeness of a roster that a team is able to bring back to a to, you know, the following season. And I guess that's where I put South Dakota state at the top of the league, their ability to win games on the road, because I think their level of uh, ability to defend on the road w- w- proved out last year. And, um, and, and I know, and all these things I'm qualifying by saying, I know how much Wilson and, and Shireman impacted South Dakota state last year. I just don't want to undervalue um, what they have coming back. And then what they added, you know, with, with, with uh, Moore's coming in, the transfer from Wisconsin, never played at Wisconsin. He redshirted, but uh, you know his his explosiveness and, and what he brings, he fits South Dakota State, I think, in a lot of different ways. And so I, I guess I I just and, and what have they won? How many regular season conference championships out of the last I don't know eight years, seven out of the last eight? I don't know. Yeah, it's like ten of eleven for NDSU and South Dakota State. Yeah. It, yeah, I I guess I just looked at it that way, and and I think that I think they return the most complete roster in the league. I'm not saying it's the most talented. I think it's the most complete though. I think for me, it's, I'm looking at their backcourt. I'm looking at their backcourt and Matt Mims, probably in particular. I think he can really swing things one way or the other. He's had some chances to play. He's played a good amount of basketball and he's, he's been okay. You know, he's been complimentary. He's knocked down some shots and you know, it's kind of hard to get in a rhythm when you're playing behind Baylor Shireman. I get that, but to me, a lot of this kind of rests on him. They need that point guard, you know, especially if you're going to, if the shooting guard is going to be Alex Arians, who brings a lot of value to the table, not necessarily in scoring, or maybe they play him at the three and have Mayo at the two. I guess it doesn't really matter who's two or, or who's three there. But um, that, that whole point guard position was so valuable last year, obviously, just in terms of how Shireman could affect the games in so many different ways. And Mims is going to be very, very different. But can he be effective in his own way? That's, I think, my biggest question. Because if then if you start looking at the other positions out there, um, South Dakota State is is very solid. But I don't want to underestimate having to go from a complimentary player to a lead player. Some players are just complimentary players, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to say a role player because every every player is a role player but more of a complimentary player than to be a true lead player. Now, obviously, if South Dakota State's going to get it done this year, it's going to be Mims playing very well, very efficiently, knocking down shots, and then Zeke Mayo becoming a star. That's that's probably the most likely scenario, um, but I do, it's not a given. It, it's not, Zach, and I, I respect your, your, your approach on this and, and your evaluation of it. The one thing that I don't want to overlook is Arian's was a starting point guard on uh, conference championship team at South Dakota State. He he may be one of the most underrated, most versatile players in the league. And it wouldn't shock me to see Arians be the starting point guard to start the season out and leave Mayo at the two, and and they're able to put some other players around him. I I I I love what Easley brings. I love what Arians brings, and they're not high output offensive production guys, 
but they're very capable guys. There are guys that on any given night, you're going to look at the box score and go, how'd that guy end up with 17 points? Um, I, I do. And I'm not saying, and Arians is, Arians is smart enough and he's old enough not to, he's one of the oldest players in the league, probably old enough to realize he's not going to go out there and try to be Baylor Shireman. He's going to go be Arians, a guy that led his team from the point position to a conference championship. And I think he's, uh, I think he's maybe in some ways a, a forgotten guy in this situation. Mims, as you talked about, he's very capable. I think he's going to have to step up and do some things. People have looked at Mayo and said that th- this kid can play the point if needed. I think they have a pretty versatile, well-rounded backcourt, and they're very experienced on top of that. I, I think the one thing that I'll say about South Dakota State, or I guess an additional thing I'll say about them, is you know, last year their calling card was they were good on defense, but they were literally one of the most efficient offensive teams in the whole nation. Like top 10 Ken Palm, our buddy Ken yeah. Palm. Yep. And I don't think that they're going to exactly be that this year. You know, of course, yeah, they probably only have one direction to go when you're top 10 in the nation, but it's going to be interesting to see them win games a little differently than they did last year. And, and just have this team kind of take on its own identity to kind of separate themselves from what happened last year, which was historically good. I don't think they want to get caught up in trying to recreate that. They have to just focus on the best version of themselves, which, of course, they know. Agree. And, and Greg, as you were talking, you had me definitely thinking, man, that there is a lot going for South Dakota State. And we could certainly, Zach and I could look a little silly by the end of the year. The thing well, I don't think you, so. I, or you's really good. But I'm not. I just that was my gut with South Dakota State. Right. Well, the, the, the thing that that I keep going back to is just. Oral Roberts didn't lose anybody and added Mwamba and Vanover. I keep thinking about the depth with them. Like there's a legit chance Jashang Weaver, Carlos Jurgens, Trey Phipps, and Elijah Lufile, once he comes back, are all coming off the bench. All, all four of those guys yeah. could start for most Summit League teams. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a good observation. And 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 at the same time, I look at Deshane Weaver and, and uh, Carlos Jurgens, and these are guys that have been staples for ORU for a long time. I, I won't I won't lie. Last year I waited for them to step up. I waited for them yeah. to be consistent performers. Now I hope I hope they're able to c- come out and do that. I hope they're able to come out and produce for ORU because boy it makes them really really difficult to play against if they can utilize that depth and if that depth doesn't have a huge fall off in production from the top group. Uh, Lufile, I'm still. I think that's still a wild card in all of this. I mean, when you look at a guy that basically averaged a double-double over the last 10 games of the season, extremely valuable, is he going to be there? Is he going to be there throughout the course of the season? That That's a big wild card, too. And so uh, that was just kind of my thought is I, I know they have talented depth, but do they have productive depth? Depth. I think when when we're trying to analyze these preseason rankings, it's not so much about trying to argue which one's right as it is sort of trying to dissect, okay, if it is Oral Roberts, why? And if it's not Oral Roberts, why? You know, so for me, if it's Oral Roberts, it's because guys like DeShane Weaver and Kareem Thompson are shooting 40% from the three-point line, not 33 to 35%, where they kind of were last year. Um you know, is Isaac McBride really able to be the best version of himself also playing alongside Max Asmus if there's only one basketball out there? 
you know, he, uh, it took a little, it seems to take these guys a little bit to get comfortable and to be the best version of themselves as they're on the floor with, with Max A. Smith, knowing that you're not, you know, the offense isn't necessarily going to flow through you. And can you make the most of the potentially limited opportunities that you have? That's a very specific skill set. And it's a skill set that most players haven't developed because every team they've been on, they've been the best player and they've had the ball in their hands. And so that's not exactly what this is. And I, I always kind of get the feeling that Earl Roberts kind of flirts with that a little bit, you know? It's just like, well, why would you take the ball out of Max Asimus's hands? Like, I'm never going to advocate for that. But at some point, if they have a little balance, they're going to be extremely difficult to guard, extremely difficult to guard. But if guys stand around just a tad too much, if they shoot just a little too light of a percentage and teams are able to help off a little bit more, that's really going to eat into their efficiency. So you can kind of see the good and the bad with this. And, and it, you're right. We're nitpicking here. I mean, if you take a step back and the, the, just the talent on this roster alone is truly, uh, it's truly overwhelming. Um, they, that was not their issue last year though. So for me to sit here and say, well, they're going to win because of their talent. They had that last year and didn't win. So I know I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I think that's where it's kind of fun to try to not necessarily project, but just to kind of anticipate, okay, if they succeed, this happens. If they don't, then this happens. And so that's just kind of my two cents on how this could potentially go for Oral Roberts. You know, and to your point, Zach, I, I guess I, I, I look at it in a very similar way. I simply look at South Dakota State saying they've been able to prove that they can have depth of production and they can have guys, you know, they can have a pretty well-rounded roster and they can put a, a lineup out there the night in, night out, not only can they defend, but they can produce from a lot of different positions. And I, I probably go more on history. Maybe I value history more than I do potential. And uh, and that doesn't mean it's right, but that just means that might just be the way I'm looking at it. There's no question. There's something to knowing how to win in March, right? There's something to that. You can't exactly quantify for it, but man, South Dakota state has a lot of guys that have won a lot of games and a lot of big situations and a lot of rivalry games. And, you know, it's just kind of the iron sharp and iron. And every time they play South Dakota and North Dakota state and they win in the playoffs and all stuff, it's like, they rarely come up short, rarely, rarely, if ever. So you want to pick South Dakota or South Dakota state rather um, be my guest. So let's go on to the next mostly consensus three. They fell into to different spots for each of us. Although I will say Jackrabbit fans, uh, Zach picked the coyotes ahead of your Jackrabbits. So just if you need something for later, just um, throw Zach under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll own it. I'll own it. Let's talk about it. Let, let, let's talk about it again. I go right to the it's on Twitter. I'm not the first. He did it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. No, it's, it's, it's in written in stone. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's the backcourt. Like I love South Dakota state, South Dakota's backcourt. I mean, I think they have as good a backcourt as, I mean, we talked about in this, the last podcast, they're probably maybe just a tad deeper um, than, than Oral Roberts, but uh, Oral Roberts may have the top, top end talent. I mean, I, it, to me, this pick uh, of putting South Dakota in the second spot is all about their backcourt and what they bring back. And the fact that South Dakota state, the best player in the conference just left and they don't have like an immediate replacement. Um, so that's really kind of how I'm seeing it. Now, if South Dakota doesn't win, like we were talking about, 
it's probably because their front court is just a tad too thin. I think as it stands right now, um, like like Mihai Karkoana, if he is solid, I think South Dakota is going to be okay. We think he is. We don't know he is. And that's what a lot of this comes down to. If he gets into foul trouble, there's two freshmen behind him. And then what? And that could be the reason that South Dakota doesn't get it done. But their backcourt, man, if if A.J. Plitzelite is A.J. Plitzelite, I firmly believe that they're the second-best team in this conference, even better than South Dakota State, believe it or not. But that's a big question mark. Like we heard from Coach Peterson, he's still kind of in the mode of having, you know, some good days and maybe some rougher days with that. Like, it's still going to be a bit of a process. How's it going to hold up through the course of the season? I don't know. I just remember how good A.J. Plitzoy was, and I cannot get that out of my mind. In addition to Mason Archambault, in addition to Cruz, Perro Hunt, and all those guys that they got there, I think that could be just a, a tremendous, tremendous group right there. Um, just really well-rounded, multiple ball handlers, you know, tried and true. Um, I really, really like their backcourt. Zach, I will not disagree with anything you said, even though you wanted us to disagree tonight. Um, I won't disagree with you on South Dakota. And I know people are going, well, how – how you know they have four really really talented proven summit league backcourt players. Um, you know what? Four guys playing 30 minutes a game that constitutes three positions. You know they can find a way to get all four of them good quality minutes. I look at I look at let's look at the preseason all league teams. Nine of the 11 players are perimeter players. You have Apple and Nelson that are both maybe six seven or bigger. Everybody else is a perimeter. This is a guard-proven league. And so I think I think perimeter play is going to be solid on, on, on a lot of these teams. It's going to come down to, maybe with the exception of, I guess, in my, in my opinion, as far as the top five team goes, NDSU has to develop their guard play, without question. And, but at the same time, you look at uh, the proven you know, experience, talent, that this league is going to have in the backcourt this season, it's evidenced by nine of the top 11 players in the preseason polls. And, and so I, I think, how does, how does Eric Peterson develop that, develop their bigs? It, it, and I will say this, I'm going to qualify this. It is much easier to develop bigs when you have talented backcourt players because they don't have as much pressure on them. The, the bigs don't to be off an offensive force. You can teach them to be uh, defenders, uh, make sure they play well in their role. They get the ball in the right spots to be effective and efficient as offensive producers. It's so much easier to do that when you have a talented backcourt. And I think we all are in agreement. USD has as much depth when it comes to talent in the backcourt as any team in the league. So I'm not going to disagree with where you're at on your evaluation of USD. I think highly of them. And, and I'm I'm that guy back in the day when even when A.J. Plitzewite blew his knee out at the end of the season, I still voted the guy pre, uh, player of the year because I thought his impact on USD that season was was more impactful than any other player in the league had on their team uh, to put them in the position they did at the end of the season. So I'm not going to necessarily disagree because I picked them third, and I think that's the most likely landing spot. But I also think this is the team – with the biggest range of potential outcomes this season. They could win the league because the, the front court is, or I mean, the back court is that good. And they could finish sixth because front court players don't develop. 
Um, when you think about proven college players, they're about five deep, maybe six if you count uh, Damani Hayes. And Carcoana, Car- how do you pronounce that, Zach? You said it so well. I think Carcoana, I think. Carcoana, I like that. That it certainly sounds better than whatever I just said. Yeah. Um, played five minutes a game last year. Toledo's a decent MAC team, but played five minutes a game. We've seen big players that were just big players before. Nikola Zizic was a big player that wasn't, you know, a huge contributor. Um, so I'm not saying he isn't going to be a good contributor. We just don't know. And so there's just a wide range of where I think this team could finish. If they, if you said they are going to finish sixth, I, I can, I can live with that as a possibility. We don't know what AJ is going to look like when he comes back how he's going how he's returned from the injury ever the signs are all good but we don't know if we got the same player i just think there's a wide range of what this team could be and i don't think we'd say that about any of the other five teams in the top 5 well todd you you bring up a really good point with usd um i, I will say i thought aj Plitzway looked great last year because he had probably the best wardrobe of any <laughs> non playing yes. player in the conference he, he always looked good but no i think he's going to come back and, and be a pretty good um, uh, version of what he was. We'll see what happens. The other team that I think joins USD as far as their wide-ranging um, potential finish in the league is NDSU. And the reason I say that is how are they going to develop their primary ball handlers? And how are they going to develop their perimeter around a Grant Nelson, around an Andrew Morgan, um, and you know who are two of the, the better bigs in the league, in my opinion, and Grant Nelson could be a player of the year candidate. I think NDSU, if they can develop great perimeter play, they can be a top two or three team. If they struggle to develop their perimeter play, they're right down there where, where you talked about USD. Could they finish in, in around that six area? Uh, I think what USD and, and, and NDSU are those two teams because of similar situations. Can USD develop their bigs? Can NDSU develop their perimeter? Um, I think it's tougher to to develop your perimeter, and that's why I ended up, I guess, eventually when I went through and kind of did it, I think I had uh, USD a game or so ahead of uh, NDSU. But uh, I, I think though those are the two teams that have the widest range yeah. of where they might finish, especially in the top part of the league. Yeah, I, I kind of like what you were getting at there, Todd. I, I do agree. South Dakota, their plan A is pretty good, but they don't have much of a plan B. You know what I mean? If injuries pop up, if AJ is not quite what do you want, like they don't have much of a plan B. South Dakota State has a pretty dang good plan B. Oral Roberts has a pretty good plan B, but not necessarily South Dakota. And as we're doing these uh, projections, you're only in, in your mind right now, you're not thinking of all the things that can go wrong. You're kind of thinking of, okay, picture perfect. Everybody's healthy day one. How are they going to do, you know? And that's kind of, you know, where I think a lot of these go wrong sometimes. But, um, I do agree that, you know, the plan B for both NDSU and South Dakota is, is a huge problem. I mean, like, like Greg, like you said, I I could see a scenario where NDSU, you said it nine of the 11 first and second team, all conference players are backcourt, right? What's NDSU's overwhelming strength, their front court, probably the best in the league. And so are they zigging while everybody's zagging? Do they constantly have matchup problems every single night? And that's what allows them to kind of bring along their backcourt slowly because they're able to hit open shots because everybody's helping on the post and they're able to get, you know, a little bit more confidence that way. 
Um, I could see that happening. Or I could see NDSU not being able to keep teams conf, uh, honest and Grant Nelson constantly having two guys on him. And same with Andrew Morgan. And, um, you know, NDSU is just not able to knock down enough shots. And so, uh, you know, again, you, you could see that going both ways as well. I'm just hopeful for NDSU that there's at some point this year where six six foot transfer Luke Yoder is backing someone down in the post while Grant Nelson is standing out on the perimeter because the text will be fantastic between the three of us. Oh man. I Yeah, probably along the same lines as last year. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't so we're we're heading into sort of the second half of the league and Part of that, which actually I think Denver is part of the first half of the league, but why don't we jump into the interview with uh, Coach Wilbrun and then we'll uh, go to, to the rest of the league after that. Hi, everyone. We have another coach interview with us today and joining us, Jeff Wilbrun from Denver. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Todd. Now, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, I was just telling you off air. Uh, how much I appreciate everything you do to promote our our league and uh, and our basketball conference. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and we're excited to have you and second time back with us. And I think maybe a little more excitement this year uh, than even last year. And you were pretty excited last year. So I guess I'll start with that. There, there seems to be a little bit of buzz. You guys were picked fifth in the league in the preseason poll. What are kind of your expectations or what reasons are you excited about the team this year maybe even a little more than last year yeah um to your point i was pretty excited last year too yes you were yeah it's been a while it's probably been 12 months since we last spoke and a lot has happened uh here in our program during that time uh but a lot of things that we're excited about and uh you know we uh i i think we took some steps last year i think we made significant progress as a program um, looking back on uh, uh, on our accomplishments from a year ago, I th- honestly, I think we took the program to respectability in our first year finishing in the middle of the conference. And uh, I think we've done a nice job recruiting. I think we've done a great job building our culture. Um, and, uh, and we have a team that we're very excited about. We have a team that we hope will compete in the upper tier of the conference this year. And um, and we've done it in, in a variety of ways. And uh, what I will tell you, Todd, is uh, I think it's been important that we lay a strong foundation with good young players. Uh, I think we did that last year. Uh, we had some kids who had great freshman years and, uh, you know, Tevin Smith and Coben Porter and, and Pedro and Toko. Uh, boy, these were all freshmen who. Uh, had a great opportunity to come in and step in and play, but uh, they really progressed as the season went on. Their numbers in conference play and league play were substantially better than they were in non-conference. And uh, and I think we've added to that uh, with some good young players. Uh, uh, ben Bowen, who's a freshman transfer from Wyoming. Uh, Justin Mullins, who's a really intriguing freshman from Chicago, a true freshman. Um, so, uh, we've, we've continued to build with young players, but we've used the portal, uh, and we've used our international recruiting to, uh, uh, continue to get the right pieces, but I think we have a really nice balance. Yeah. Coach, that's great to hear. And, and I, you know, you alluded to your culture and, and Todd and Zach and I have talked about how impressed we were with, with just the way you got your kids to play. I, I mean, I thought every night 
your kids were always ready to compete regardless of who the opponent was. And, and, and it sounds overly simplistic, but that's not always easy to do. But right now you talked about last year, you, you were kind of excited heading headed in. What would you, what did you wish someone had told you last year at this time that, you know, after a year in the, in the league and uh, kind of putting your program together or just what's different this time around after, with the year under your belt? Um, I would tell you that uh, maybe the, the biggest uh, thing that we, we set out to do was establish a culture uh, within the basketball program that we felt would set us up for long-term success. And uh, if me personally, uh, I, I felt that the Denver job is a great fit for me. I've spent uh, 11, I guess, 12 years of my life at some great uh, academic institutions. I spent seven years at Cal Berkeley, spent five years at Stanford. Um, you know, we talk all the time with recruits uh, about fit, you know, and does the style of play fit you? Does the coaching style fit you? Uh, uh, does the academic mission of the school fit you? All of those things. And I think there's fit for head coaches as well, all coaches. And uh, the University of Denver is a good fit for me. Uh, I not only believe, but really embrace the student athlete model. Um, and it was important for us uh, here at the University of Denver to bring in recruits that uh, were high character young men, high integrity young men, um, young men who always believed that the academic piece of this was of tremendous value and they had always made academics a priority. We had a 3.6 GPA last quarter as a team. Uh, and a 3.5 GPA the quarter before that. So uh, we, we have found kids that, that fit that identity and um, we're really, really proud of it. And uh, I would tell you, uh, just as I did when we were at Stanford, we have a similar culture and that is the high character, the high integrity young men who chase excellence in all they do. And, um, and uh, you know, our core values, which complement our identity, the most important one is integrity. And uh, it's just by being led by doing what's right is the way we talk about it with our players. So uh, I think that's been important. And uh, to, to get young men who are good fits for, for our basketball program, not only on the court, but off the court. And we're really proud about the progress we've made there. Coach, you had one player that made the all preseason teams, Tevin Smith on the second team. And I, I'll be honest, I had him, in, in my first six players as, as a first team type guy. Can you tell us about his growth in the off season? I, I personally think he's ready to make a big jump, even though he had a great year last year. Yeah. Uh, Todd, he, he really did have a great season for us. Uh, he, he had the opportunity to play and he took advantage of it. Um, he has a rare combination. He has tremendous athleticism. Um, he's, uh, he's really skilled and he plays with great savvy. Uh, and boy, that those are three great attributes, aren't they? Um, and, and that's why as a freshman, he shot 55% from the field and 38% from three. He just made great decisions when he was in there. And as the season wore on, he continued to get better and better. And we realized that he did some things really, really well. Um, gosh, when, when uh, we, we paired him and Colvin Porter, on the perimeter and, and Tevin would make a back cut. He's such a strong, uh, a, a great cutter without the ball. And he's so good around the basket and, and Coben would pop for threes. And 
Uh, we also started posting Tevin up a lot as the year wore on. And uh, we found out that at 6'4", with his athleticism and his strength, he was a very tough guard around the basket. So uh, he, he certainly uh, does a lot of things really well. And on top of that, he makes great decisions. He's great in ball screens. And he just, he has a knack. And, and it, it's really um, unusual that he just, uh, he doesn't try to do things that he can't do, uh, if that makes sense to you. He comes off ball screens. If he has a path to the basket, he'll take it. And as you've seen, he can finish at the rim with tremendous athleticism. If he doesn't, uh, he'll read the roller or the, the big who's popping. He just he reads defenses really well um, and makes great decisions. And, and that's why he had the shooting percentages that he did. He attacked the weight room in the offseason. He's gained 10 pounds. He's 200 pounds now, and he's lean and mean. And uh, he, he'll be even a, a tougher guard. So he, he's added 10 pounds of strength. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. I think he's quicker. And as you alluded to, Todd, he's ready to make another jump. You know, you, 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 sometimes the jump from freshman to sophomore year can be tremendous. And I think at least Tevin has put himself in position to make that. And, you know, that's a really nice honor. I told him the other day for the media and the conference coaches to, uh, to look at you as one of the best players in the league as just a sophomore. So uh, he's earned it and we're really proud of him. Well, and I, I just, comment before I ask you another question. It, it, it was a pleasure to watch, and that's a credit to how he's been coached as well, just because he was a guy out there that was was really good at making his teammates better and really uh, recognized the opportunities when they found him. He wasn't always out there seeking his own, and that speaks well to not only his maturity, but uh, the, the manner in which you guys have coached him as well. Talk about some of the other impact players. Talk about some of the other growth that you've seen with some other guys. I know you referred to some of your returners, but in, in, in what ways have they have they grown and in what ways do you think they're going to be able to contribute to your team taking another step forward? Yep. Um, uh, we'll take Toko Tynamo. Uh, Toko was another freshman for us whose numbers in, in league play were much better than they were in non-conference. And uh, he just continued to improve. He led us in rebounding as a freshman. Uh, he shot 58% from the field as a, as a freshman. And same thing, he just played within our system. We tried to put him in positions where uh, he was going to be successful. Uh, he, he really rolls hard off of ball screens. He's a threat uh, with his back to the basket. Um, we posted him up more and more as the year went on last year. He became, uh, I, I think the experience really helped him. And uh, he became uh, a physical savvy uh, offensive post player uh, as a year wore on. Uh, he's another guy who has added strength to his frame. Uh, he's had a great off season. And uh, I think Toko now, you'll see a very consistent three-point shooter from him as well this off season. So, um, you know, here's here's a guy who's 6'9", about 225. And uh, he's improved his back to the basket play with uh, his three-point shooting. Uh, he's a terror on the offensive glass. And uh, just, you know, the, when I say that we wanted to build a program and lay the foundation with great young players, uh, you know, we've spoken about a few here, Tevin and, and Toko would be another one. Um, uh, you know, Coben Porter uh, is another one. And, and I guess I should tell you, I've, uh, I mean, it's, he has an ACL knee injury and he will in all uh, probability miss the season. 
but uh, which is a tough break. I think he established himself as one of the elite shooters in the conference, not only in the conference, uh, but in the country. I think he was third among all freshmen in the nation and made threes last year. So uh, we'll miss that. You, it's hard to re replace a prolific three-point shooter. And, um, but uh, we do, uh, I, I think, have some depth. And um, uh, we have eight new players coming in and joining the program. And uh, I think one of the things, the differences last year, you know, as programs get healthy and they become competitive, one of the things that they, they do is they, you, you have competition for spots. And uh, our depth is much greater this year, and we have quality competition. And I've told our guys that's something to embrace. And, uh, you know, programs that are healthy have this and, uh, you know, will make each other better. So uh, uh, even with Coben's loss, uh, we feel that we're, we're deep enough to absorb that and still compete in the upper tier of the conference this season. So, Coach, you talked about good young players building the foundation. I, I'm I'm hearing whispers of Justin Mullins being one of those good young players that can build a foundation. Uh, tell us a little bit about him, the freshman out of Chicago. Yeah, boy, um, Justin has a, just a huge high side. He has, one of the things, as you look at our team this year from a year ago, we've really, uh, we, we targeted some areas, and I think we've done a good job in with our recruiting. Uh, we're longer, uh, we're taller, we're more versatile. Uh, I think we're more athletic. Uh, we and Justin's one of those pieces in the backcourt. He's a six-six guard who probably has close to a six-ten wingspan, and uh, he's he may be the best athlete on the team. Um, he's a solid three-point shooter. He's great at using ball screens. Uh, he attacks the paint really hard. He's a kid who can help us on the offensive and defensive glass. Uh, I think in time, uh, I think Tevin Smith has established himself is one of the better defenders in the league. And I think Justin Mullins will do that too. Uh, just with his length and his size and his quickness, um, I think Justin could probably guard four positions on the floor. So we were really excited about Justin and uh, what he's gonna bring to our, our team this season, uh, his versatility. And, uh, and, and we think he's just scratching the surface of the player that he can be. Coach, I know uh, Commissioner Fenton's talked about, hey, uh, how do we, you know, scheduling, things like that. How do we become, give ourselves a better chance to be a, a multi-bid league? You know, looking at yours, you just have a couple of bye games. UCLA, Oregon State, you got a home and home with Sac State. What were your thought, what was your thought process putting together this schedule? Because it looks like a nice pre-conference schedule, to be honest with you. I think that's one of the things that some people in the Summit League, they'll get frustrated at the lack of quality games and non-conference, especially at home. Um, this is kind of a nice looking schedule. What, what thought process went into putting this together? You know, uh, Josh Fenton came and joined us last week and spoke to all of our head coaches. And uh, uh, boy, he's, um, I, I tell you, our conference is in great hands uh, with, with Josh at the helm. And uh, he was extremely impressive in his vision. Uh, one of the things which, uh, uh, you know, I just love to hear was that he said basketball needs to be great in the Summit League. And uh, that's that's his vision. And now, as we move forward, you know, at, at our institution, we love to see that uh, our goals and our objectives, uh, you know, are parallel to Josh Fenton's in the Summit League. And um, but uh, uh, you asked about the schedule. Uh, we've got a nice schedule. I think it's a schedule that uh, challenges us. 
Um, certainly, we'll, we'll face one of the top teams in the country when we go to Pauley Pavilion this year and play UCLA. We play another Pac-12 team in Oregon State. Uh, we've entered into some home and homes, um, and we've I think we've grown our home games to 15 this year. Um, so th that was an objective to to play at home a little more often. Uh, this year we're in a MTE in New Orleans, um, and uh, and I think the objective here, as we look longer term, would be to have our own MTE. I do think one of the advantages that we have here at Denver, we're easy to get to, uh, we're relatively inexpensive, coming from uh, just about any direction, and uh, I, I think we'll we'll put together an MTE beginning the following year, and that will allow us to get three more home games. So. Um, that that certainly is an objective, but uh, you know I hope it's a um, a non-conference schedule which will challenge us and at the same time uh, allow us to have some success before we head into a very tough conference season. Coach, you don't necessarily have to comment on this, but interesting in in scheduling the Big Sky just re released that they're going to basically mandate that each team has three D one home games. Uh, going forward obviously not this season but going forward from there so if you want to get some home and homes and it might be some big sky teams might be the ones that are more than willing to do that with you you know um, we have uh idaho and idaho state on the schedule this year maybe they knew something was coming and yeah. sacramento state right? yeah, yeah. yeah yeah uh so my my question comes in with last year when we watched you guys on offense it was pretty clear that you could get some really good shots on offense and it really wasn't on that end of the floor that kind of caused you guys some problems it was more on the defensive end of the the floor and just looking at some of the additions you already talked about Justin Mullins but Tyree Corbett uh, Lucas Kasunas um, players that are coming in was that a focus of bringing in players like that to uh, yeah. to no, help on that end of the floor uh, Todd, you and I think alike. Uh, as I looked at our team last year after the season ended, one of the deficiencies that, that was uh, very clear to us is we need we needed needed help defensively. We needed help on the defensive glass and on the offensive glass. And we really think that we've helped ourselves. Uh, uh, probably a year ago, that that was an area of clear deficiency, and and I think it's an area of strength as we we head into this season. Uh, we mentioned that Toko, uh, you know, after a, a great freshman year, he's back. We added Lucas Kasunas. Lucas, um, I recruited Lucas to Stanford and ha had the, the good fortune to coach him for three years there. Um, my last year, Lucas started 18 games in the Pac-12. So he's a battle-tested big man. He's six foot 10, 260 pounds. Uh, he'll be just about as strong as anybody in the conference. Uh, really good with his back to the basket, but as I mentioned, will really help us in an area we felt we needed it, which was rebounding. Uh, Tyree Corbett is a, uh, a player, a transfer from another graduate transfer from Coppin State. Tyree had, I think he was the only player in college basketball last year who had two 2020 games. He's a 6'7 post player with a seven foot wingspan and uh, elite level athlete. Um, and, and man, a, a high, high level offensive rebounder, especially. So uh, he is an above the rim threat. And we felt that was something that we needed on the offensive end. So, um, uh, and in addition to, uh, to the guys we've mentioned, um, Pedro Lopez San Vicente comes back uh, after a solid freshman year. He was really going good for us. And unfortunately against St. Thomas in the first league game, he suffered a concussion. And it set him back a little bit. He's had a great off season. 
Pedro is probably our best three-point shooter among our front court players. And uh, that, that's a great dimension. He's an excellent passer as well. Uh, and then um, uh, in addition to, uh, to them, we've got uh, big JB. And uh, he returns for his last season. He's a senior for us. And uh, so we think that we've, we've gotten better defensively. We've, we've really improved our, our rebounding uh, and are really deep and strong in our, our front court. Well, Coach, I, I have great appreciation for it. I know Todd and Zach, they get bored with me in a hurry, as do anybody who watches the games I do, because I talk too much about deep kids and, and just the fact that you got to fall in love with boring if you want to be a really good uh, hard-nosed defensive team. So I'm, I'm ecstatic to see kind of the – or listen to how you talk about uh, the, the roster that you've compiled and put together. I, I just think it's going to be – and I think, you know what, I think the, the league this year where last year um, – it, people outside of the league thought, well, it's a foregone conclusion with South Dakota State. It is going to be anybody's ball game this year. And, 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 and I think you always prepare your team to say, listen, we're going to go compete. But just looking at it, um, I'll tell you what, it, it's going to be a, a matter of one or two key games here and there. So how do you prepare your guys? I know, I know you go into the pre-conference season. I know you're going to do one game at a time. And, but at the same time, maybe how does your staff kind of look at the conference this year? And what do you think it's going to take to, to put yourself in, in maybe to, in a position to be one of those top four teams. Yeah, you know, we um, uh, we talk all the time about uh, being consistent with our effort. And, and I think uh, in this interview a year ago, you said, you know, if things went well, what would be one thing that people would say about our team? And uh, I, I think I answered that question by saying that uh, that we competed hard night in and night out. And uh, we, we gave it everything that we had and we competed at a very, very high level. And uh, I, I think that that was the goal. And uh, gosh, I, I revisited that statement with my team the other day and <laughs> say, you know, that that's got to be our DNA. That's got to be who we are game in and game out. And uh, uh, so uh, that that certainly will be something that we strive for. Um, you know, you never talk about winning, at least I don't, uh, you know, you, you talk about what you need to do to be successful. And if on the offensive end, that's ball movement and great player movement. And, you know, when guys catch the ball, they got 0.5 to shoot it, move it or rip it. And, uh, and, and we know we, we had an inter squad scrimmage about a week ago and we, which was probably pretty early. And when the ball hit the paint, we shot 67%. And when the ball didn't hit the paint, we shot 23%. So, uh, you know, these are the things that uh, you obviously we're, we're more efficient when we can get those paint touches and the ball moves to multiple sides. And that's what we're trying to do on the offensive end. So it's it's not so much here's what we need to do to win, but here's what we need to do to be an effective team and a consistent team night in and night out. And we certainly have the defensive goals as well. Um, uh, you, you know, as you look at the conference, I. I'll tell you what South Dakota State did last year is just amazing. Um, uh, Eric and, and his staff, and uh, that you just don't see that. I mean, you're talking about going undefeated over a course of such a long season and weathering illness and weathering injuries and, and the highs and lows that 18 to 22-year-old kids have and human nature and all of those things. So, uh, and, and they're going to be really, really strong again this year. And um, you asked about the conference, and of course, the face of our conference is Max Acemas at Oral Roberts, I think, and 
uh, you know, he's, uh, they are going to be very strong. I think the consensus pick for the top spot. And so I, I'll tell you, after one year in the league, we have a really, we have really good coaches in the league. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting Marvin and, and Chris and Eric is the, the new guys this year, but uh, we, we have great coaches. This is a, a really competitive league from top to bottom. I think this year, even more competitive than it was last year. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we know that uh, we just have to continue to make progress uh, as we go and, and our young guys, you know, will be better for ex uh, the experience. And, uh, you know, we, we have a unique situation here, I think, at Denver in that our first, we're on the quarter system and our quarter ends the week of Thanksgiving and our winter quarter doesn't start until around January 10th or 12th. So we have six weeks kind of in the heart of the season where the guys don't have any academic obligations. And we saw Tevin and Toko and Coben make huge, huge strides from the non-conference season to the league season. I think that's one, one area that, that really helps us. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly hope that that's the case this year. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about is that our backcourt and, um, uh, you know, Tommy Bruner is a transfer for us. Um, Tommy is uh, almost a thousand point scorer in college. He's really experienced. Uh, we're going to miss KJ Hunt, but boy, Tommy is going to do a nice job for us running the show. He really gets his teammates involved uh, in, into the offense. Uh, you know, obviously being a thousand point scorer, he's uh, uh, he's great in ball screen situations. He's a good three-point shooter. I mentioned Ben Bowen as a, a freshman transfer from Wyoming, who's a native Colorado, and um, uh, Ben is going to be a significant contributor. We talked about Tevin Smith. Um, uh, Marco Lukic was le the leading scorer for Arkansas Little Rock last year, averaged double figures for them. Marco's a 6'7 wing for us. And, um, you know, really gives us some experience and some savvy at that position. Talked about Justin Mullins. Uh, we have Drake Muller, who will be back uh, for his junior year. And we have a 6'8 freshman, another freshman, um, uh, Dan Mukuna. Uh, Dan is from Germany and one of our five international players. So um, I, I think, you know, when I mentioned that uh, we had some depth there, uh, gosh, that's a, that's about seven guys in three positions that we feel will pr provide good competition for us in practice every day. Coach, I'll let Todd finish up, but I, I it's it's great to visit with you. Uh, basically, a year almost to the day or almost to the time when we had a chance to do it. You've been a great addition to the league, and and your guys were a great addition to the league, and we wish you nothing but the best this season. Well, Greg, that's very nice of you to say. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, not only your comments and kind words, but uh, uh, everything that you guys do to promote our league. It's uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, and Coach, I, I was Greg basically said what I was going to say as as we wrapped up here, and I'm trying to time in between construction happening in my basement, so uh, I won't go too long here. Um, but again, thanks for joining us, and and we look forward to seeing the continued growth of the program. I mean, just incredible to watch from two years ago to where things are at today so well we appreciate it guys we're really excited and looking forward to it and uh, uh looking forward to make another significant jump for the program this year all right well thanks coach yep thank you guys appreciate it
All right. Well, that was a fantastic interview with Coach Wilburn. Just a couple minutes quick on that. The, the thing that I thought was just fantastic is – and I think he recognizes this as well. I mean, there was already such a jump from this team from in his first year from from two years ago, but he clearly is excited about the talent that they brought in and are returning in Denver. What were your guys' thoughts in the interview? He's almost building it in an old school fashion. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to be able to recruit freshmen and have them develop and take steps every year. I thought that was outlawed, right? I thought that was gone. And yet he's kind of doing it. He's sitting there talking about culture, right? And it's like, I thought that was kind of a thing of the past. I thought we were just all doing transfers now and just a whole bunch of mercenaries. But it's just funny how that works. The old tried and true methods are still able to be done today. And it's almost like they're more effective than ever because it culture does matter and it's harder to develop it. So the ones that can have even a bigger advantage. And that's kind of what they're developing there. It's it's really been fun to watch, man. It, I, I've always been high on that Denver program. I just maybe I've been naive because they've been through, through some. But I'm like, ah, it's, you know, beautiful city, beautiful campus, good school. Like they're going to be able to find five good basketball players that value education and just like that scenario, won't they? And and sure enough, you know, he has the background. I like at the moment he was hired from Stanford. It's just like, man, that's that's perfect. And you're seeing it play out here. How quickly things can turn around. Not necessarily through the portal, but recruiting the right kids, developing them, getting them to stay, and uh, you know having a little bit of luck with that. And um, you know it's fun to watch them build and and become a, a real factor in this league. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the interview with with Coach Wolbrin, and, and as as you talked about Zach, his his background at, at Berkeley and Stanford, I think, prepared him very well to come into Denver and say, here's what I think I want to do. And he's been he's, he's done a pretty good job of it. I and, and this the, that's the thing that factored into where I picked Denver and also where I picked Western Illinois, because I know Western Illinois fans will not be happy with me. I already know St. Thomas fans aren't happy with me. I know ORU <laughs> has already ripped on me. I know. um uh, Omaha, you know, there's a lot of unknowns there. Kansas City, there's a lot of unknowns. But the the two, excuse me, <coughs> diametrically different programs that I kind of focused on were Denver and Western Illinois. I was really concerned about Western Illinois down the stretch last year with their talent level and, and what they were able to, to do with it. They, they just weren't able to turn it into success. Yeah. And 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 that, that concerned me. And at the same time, Coach Wilburn, what he did it, Denver with with his culture even though that that word irritates a ton of people in the media things like that it's a real thing and I think he's got guys that are buying into what they need to do to be competitive because I think all three of us at different times throughout the season last year when we were evaluating results week to week we were always impressed with Denver with what they were able to do with what they were able the way the manner in which they were able to find a way to create some wins get some tough ones on the road here and there I think we all saw some things going in the, in the right direction. And I think we continue to see that he's ecstatic about his, his, uh, his talent level. He's obviously disappointed uh, with, with the ACL injury uh, to, to, to Potter. And, and that's, that's a tough deal, but he also believes that there's some depth there and they can overcome that. That's why I think that's the number one reason why I put them in the top five in the league is I think their grit, their toughness, their roster development, 
Um, Tevin Smith is, is, is without question a high-level player. And I think he's going to be very impactful for Denver, but I don't think he's going to go out there and try to get his own at the expense of the team's success. I really like what they're doing in Denver, and I think they're going to be a factor in the conference race this season. And they're just a perfect example of never taking a step back, right? Everything they've done, they haven't been huge steps forward, but if you never take a step back, you know, you just kind of incrementally inch your way up, inch your way up, and then eventually some of the, you know, you get a little bit better and a couple of teams ahead of you, they kind of trip up and fall back, and they're just kind of slow and steady, you know, the the tourists in the hair here, and um, they're making progress. And the more you kind of think about it, like if you just did a blind resume with NDSU, and Denver this year, I, I don't know. I You know, it, at the key positions, Denver may have them a little bit. Of course, NDSU has the benefit of the doubt, and so does some of these other teams, and they deserve it, and they should have it, and they'll get it. But if you're doing a blind resume, it may be a little bit more interesting than we think. It will be. The last thing I'll throw in there, Denver's still probably one of the toughest road trips in the league. <laughs> there's, yep. there's something to be said about that. And that mm-hmm. might steal them one or two extra home wins this season. Yeah, and I want to talk about two. Well, I'll finish up on Denver. They're super high on Justin Mullins, the freshman out of Chicago. Might take him a little bit. I, I, Zach, you talked about how they're they're building it, and it's this mixture of young guys that are gonna play and transfers. So you've got Tommy Bruner coming in to, to kind of take the KJ Hunt role. Tyree Corbett, who had really big numbers in, in the MEAC, I think it was the MEAC, uh, Coppin State, and and then uh, Kasunas from Stanford. So, like, they bring in these pieces to kind of hold things together, but then the fundamental pieces are there, too, whether you're talking Colvin Porter, Tevin Smith, Mullins, the young guy. Like, it's an interesting approach that they've taken. Yeah, profiling. I'd be What I want to know, I bet Coach Wilburn is really good at sitting across from a player, having dinner with them or whatever, asking them the right questions and truly understanding what makes them tick and making sure that he gets the right type of players and the right pieces to fit together. He seems like a really engaging guy and a really perceptive guy. And I bet that really plays into how he's able to pull all these random players who look random to us, but probably approach basketball and life fairly similarly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, if, if our interview is any indication, I can certainly, that is a good point. Well, I agree with both you guys. I think he's a great addition to the league, and as are the other new coaches this season. But uh, I, I think the league's better for Coach Wilburn being out at uh, Denver. So, so let's talk Western Illinois and Omaha just a little bit. They're two teams that each of us kind of had, and that's kind of the way this bottom five is going to go. But... Uh, Zach, you had Omaha pretty high. Both Greg and I had are at sixth, and Greg and I had them ninth. And then I had Western Illinois sixth, and Zach seventh, and then Greg, you had them tenth. I'll start with Western Illinois, and then we'll move into Omaha also, because we have hit on Western Illinois a little bit. My thing with Western Illinois is if you start with Trent Masner, you can't be off to too bad of a start, at least for finishing in the top half of the bottom half, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um and Greg, I like your point about what happened last last year with some talent. And I guess I'm going to hedge towards that was something weird about what was going on with the mix and the culture there second half of the season. And maybe there was an addition by subtraction, but this is sort of the year for that coaching staff to prove that that's what that was. 
I agree with you, Todd. And 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 because I was concerned about it, and I think to be honest with you, I think all three of us were as, as we watched the season, the end of the regular season, kind of wind down. We were all probably a little bit perplexed. I will I will back you up on Trenton Masner. He this kid is as explosive a player as there is in this league. On any given night, the kid can go for 40. He can knock it down from behind the arc. He can get into the paint and create, and he can finish at the rim. I love what he brings to the floor. That was my primary concern, though, last year was what happened. What happened with the chemistry, with the culture, uh, you know, all the C-words that people hate to talk about. And that was that was my biggest concern heading into this season. Can they turn that around? Can they fix that? Masner needs to be a big part of that as a leading returning player, an all-league guy. Um, he, along with Coach Jeter and their, and their staff, can they find a way to put the new parts together and say, you know what, last year was was not indicative of what we're capable of. Uh, we can not only be be, you know, be win win key games, but we can sustain it and we can be playing our best basketball at the end of February and into March. That's the challenge for Coach Jeter and his staff along with Masner as a leader of that team. You know, what concerns me is, you know, by my calculation, they were uh, four and 10 down the stretch, right? Four and 10 to finish 16 and 16. And they kind of got into a situation where they basically played their starters almost the entire game. Um, Usually maybe two guys off the bench and that was about it. So you guys are right. It, it, the, the situation went sideways on them. The question is why? Did it coincide with Masner's sort of rise or did it not? Uh, Or did he feel like he felt the need to because other stuff was going on? You just don't really know. The one thing that really was kind of concerning is they, they got handled in a lot of these games. You know, there, there weren't even a lot of close games amongst those games down the stretch. Um, You know, so there, there were, there was a lot that was going on there. You don't want to jump to too many conclusions. You can interpret it a couple different ways. Um, you're right. Trent Mausner, you know, I think he proved his ability to score. And this year, if he proves his ability to elevate his whole team, then they really have a chance because there's going to be a lot of guys coming into the situation cold that probably don't have the most confidence that need to be brought along. And he needs to, bring those guys along. It's like we said last week, you know, if you want to go quick, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with a group of people and go with all your teammates. And that's what his goal is. You know, he knows he's going to be able to get going on him on his own. How can he get his teammates going? That's going to be what this comes down to. I mean, do they have some guys that can play? Sure. You know, they got a kid that can shoot the heck out of it from Winona state, a transfer, like they've had a lot of success with those division two transfers. Um, you know, and, and, and like all these teams, they have some guys that can play. It's just, can they bring it together? Um, we don't know. They might. Yeah. So let's let's talk Omaha just a bit. Zach, I'll start with you. You had them higher than, than Greg and I. For for me, it just comes down to just not knowing what we got. And But what, what had you a good, had you having a better feel about them? Well, what I really liked, and and this this kind of came a lot from um, the interview with Coach Crutchfield, and and how they specifically targeted guys who, you know, due to the COVID year, I mean, there's guys that have played two and three years worth of college basketball that have two and three years left, 
and guys that are from junior colleges that have actually played a lot, not guys that have sat on a, a power five bench for two or three years, but these are guys that have a lot of college basketball under their belt. And I, I think that's important, particularly in terms of getting off to a good start and getting a good record and, and climbing those uh, poles this year. Is that the best thing to do long term? We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I can't argue against it right now, especially when you have three years of eligibility left, unlike, you know, two like you would normally have it. So it's certainly interesting. And like we talked last week, there's a wide range of junior college experiences out there. There are some that are fantastic. They really develop the right skill sets. Um, and there are some that are awful that just give kids a whole bunch of bad habits and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm assuming Coach Greshfield knows the right ones to get players from. And uh, he specifically went out and got these players and he got the ones that he wanted and they they've all played two, three years of basketball. So it's a little different than some of these other freshmen that are in here. And so that's what really kind of gave me uh, a lot of encouragement to the type of start that they may at least get off to at least. You know, um, and Todd, to Zach's point, I think the two teams I had the most difficult time with were Omaha and St. Thomas. For different reasons. Um, Omaha brought a lot of guys in. I love Fiedler, by the way. I can't wait to watch him play this season. Um, there's a, there's something about him where I don't think him being a, a an all-summer league first team is going to face him in, in, in the least. I don't think he cares. I, I love the way that kid plays. And, and, and then, as Zach talked about, the transfers and, and the other talents are going to bring in around him. Uh, I still think Ludke is going to factor into their success. They could be really good. They could be really dangerous. There's no question. Um, I, I see them as a team that has more experience, uh, even though it's a lot of transfers. And I do have a lot of trust in Coach Crutchfield, his ability to evaluate and, and say, hey, who are the guys that are, are the right fit? St. Thomas, on the other hand, was a team where I'm going, I love, and, and you talked about this last week, Todd, they may have the highest ranked recruiting class in summer league history. I'm, I get concerned when you're relying on freshmen. I know they have some experience back, no question, but um, how, you know, how soon can they acclimate to summer league play? How, uh, how productive can they be as they acclimate? We'll see how that all plays out. It's going to be interesting, but those are the two teams, in my opinion, in the bottom half that have the widest range of where they might potentially finish. I think the thing that I would say about a lot of these teams, whether it's uh, Omaha or Kansas City or, or or even St. Thomas, too, to a degree. But, you know, the rate at which they get their rotation nailed down and rolls ironed out will largely go uh, towards affecting where they finish out at the end of the year. Um, I you know, you could see a situation in Omaha where they just can't quite nailed down their rotation and you know players are a little inconsistent and they have kind of some tweeters and stuff like that and it just doesn't work out as nicely as you think it would whereas like a south dakota state that's a complete non-issue like they're not talking about roles at all they're uh, they're already on level 400 they're already on offense 401 and omaha's on uh, offense 101 how quickly can we get to 201 and 301 you know what i mean and so it could come together nicely they have the pieces but you just don't know if it's going to come together and you, you talked about uh st thomas uh greg and, and it is really interesting you know 
you would think one of their biggest advantages that they have over some of their opponents is the fact that they're in Minneapolis. And Minnesota in particular is a really sneaky, great producer of good basketball talent. Every year you can see there's at least, you know, about 20 kids that go high level division one out of Minnesota. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they got this recruiting class. They get one or two bounce backs. Maybe that speeds up their learning curve a little bit. Maybe they really kind of short circuit this thing. And, uh, but it didn't happen. And so they have these freshmen, um, they're good. They're about as good as freshmen get, but you know, historically it, teams do not win with freshmen and, and it's not just the summer league. It's pretty much any mid-major conference, you know, unless you're Kentucky or Duke. Right. And that's just the nature of freshmen. There's a huge learning curve. Even if you're a really good recruit, there is still a pretty steep learning curve when it comes to playing division one basketball and playing against Dr. Suker and some of these other guys that are out there that have been playing for so long. I mean, full grown men, um, the future is bright for St. Thomas. No question. It's just a question of how consistent can those players be this year? Normally freshmen are flash. They flash. They're going to have good games. They're going to jump out and get some players, get some teams. But, you know, as the season wears on, how consistently, how consistent can they be? That's usually where freshmen come up short. So, um, they're going to be fun to watch. Their physical profile is getting a little bit closer to what a Summit League program is. It's not quite there, but, um, you know, I'm excited to watch them. And it's not quite there with the experience. And, Todd, I'm going to jump on you because you're probably going to go to this anyway. I throw UND in the, in the, in the UND, St. Thomas, Omaha. UND has a lot of returners, and we've always joked about this. They've got a lot of returners from the last place team in the league. Is that good news or bad news, right? Um, I, I I really believe that UND will take a step forward this season. I really do because I think they're going to be they're going to have more experience than many uh, teams, especially in the bottom half of the league. Uh, some returners, some guys that I, I really hope UND can stay healthy. It's going to be better for the league if they can. And 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 they're they're a team that is probably going to be the most experienced of these three, at least with Summit League experience. Can they utilize that to their advantage? And uh, you go back to St. Thomas, going to be relying on some freshman talent. Omaha going to be relying on some transfer talent along with Fiedler and, and the other guys. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I think that the bottom half to me is, is an absolute crapshoot. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Who can stay healthy? Who can gain some confidence? Who has, who has the ideal pre-conference schedule to really prepare them for Summit League play? I haven't evaluated everybody's schedule. And, Zach, I'm going to go back and, and give you credit from a week or two ago when you looked at Denver's pre-conference schedule, and I did before we interviewed Coach Wilburn. Um, I love Denver's schedule because I think it's a Summit League-type schedule where they can not only gain some confidence and, 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 and come into the conference schedule with, with some, some wins behind them and, and uh, some, some uh, you know, I – I don't know. I shouldn't say motivation, but but I think they can come in with some confidence based on what their schedule is. Now they've got to be successful with that schedule. We'll see how it all goes. But those are the three teams that are are doing it in unique, different ways. UND's bringing back a lot of talent from an unsuccessful program. U.S. St. Thomas is bringing in some freshmen, and can they move up the standings? Omaha is bringing in some transfers and 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 probably well evaluated transfers, as you mentioned. 
Coach, Coach Crutchfield did a nice job with. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. But I think what it, to me, what this does, this explains the difference between the top half and the bottom half of this league. The top half is pretty darn well known. We know their weaknesses, but they're also well known with returning talent, returning strengths, returning previous success and, and excellent coaching and tradition. And the bottom half, there's a, a, a lot, many more unknowns. Um, so that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I just kind of threw that out there. Uh, it just excites me that in less than three weeks or three weeks or so, we're going to be able to start to see this, this season uh, get kicked off. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll quickly touch on UND there since you brought him up and then I'll hop back into that tier talk because I think that that's a great way of looking at it. But UND, um, so, you know, like, like everybody's been kind of asking, okay, you know, a lot of guys back from a team that didn't win a lot of games, how's it going to kind of look? Um, but my, my understanding of kind of the way things are looking, you know, I think Jalen Trent's are really kind of taking a hold of that point guard position. Um, and Matt Norman at shooting guard, BJ Ahmed at small forward, Matt Suker at, uh, uh Mitchell Suker at, um, at the power forward and then, uh, Sotone Sartidze at, at the par, uh, at the five. So, um, and then, you know, uh, Brooks is really coming along nicely too. So, you know, you heard some guys, uh, that played, uh, decent minutes last year, not necessarily in that rotation. And of course it's far from being set in stone and, and a lot, a lot can change. Um, so that'll kind of, can kind of give you guys some indication as to sort of how that's kind of shaping up there. Um, but, but back to your tier talk though, Greg, I, I agree with this. I like looking at tiers more than I like necessarily ranking them one to 10, you know, because you're right. There's sometimes there's not a ton um, separating these teams. And it's we're really trying to ask the question, you know, contenders or not. Right. And so to me, where I draw the line at is I think those top three, I think you can rank them in any way you want. And it's not the big, it's not a big deal because they're all teams that can win the conference in my opinion, those top three. And then the question is, is there two tiers or is there three to me? I I'm kind of more or less leaning towards there's just two where you have the top three teams and the bottom seven. And, you know, these teams can finish anywhere within those two groups, but they stay within their groups. What do you guys think? Well, it, it's I, I do think there's three tiers, and um, and I'm not excited because I just see Kyan Brown liked my uh, uh, predictions, <laughs> and you know where that's going. That's totally going on Omaha's bulletin board. He's taking it personally. <laughs> yes, he is. He, he's, he's the Michael Jordan <laughs> meme right now. Kyan Brown's sitting there saying, it became personal with me and Greg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I love them, and that's why I hate doing stupid predictions. Gal darn it! But that's I, I think okay. everybody knows that. Everybody knows that we don't take it too seriously. <laughs> Nobody does. Yeah. No, we Zach, don't. Zach, it does I, show how much Greg likes us, though, that he did it. <laughs> it does. I, I'm I'm very impressed, Greg. Thank you. I've never done this before. I know. Darn it. Yeah, yeah anyway. it means a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I'll take the heat. Uh, but uh, no, I, I I there's a part of me that thinks there's three tiers. I I do. I'm not going to disagree with you on the top three. I don't think NDSU and Denver are far out of there, but I do think after those top five, I think it's going to be a crapshoot. And personally, I would love to see someone in that bottom five come up and, and just absolutely embarrass Greg Stevens predictions <laughs> and absolutely go on a run and, and be the, 
you know, the, the absolute story team of, of the Summit League. Um, I did all these things and I threw out, a, you know, if I re- replied to my own t- tweet with a bunch with a ton of different qualifiers so I could always bail myself out of being criticized too much. But um, I, I, I guess I kind of think there's three tiers, but I, I, I hope I'm proven wrong in all of this stuff. Well, and I also think there's three. I think I think Denver and NDSU are kind of their second tier by themselves. Um, and and we'll probably kind of wrap up, but I want to leave with one last thought because we didn't really talk Kansas City too much. Zach and I put them at the bottom. Greg, I think you had them seventh. Um, I, I to me it just comes down to, and I guess here's my point. They they've got 11 freshmen on the team, but in our talk with Coach Esposito. I, I think they're going to find out of those 11 f- freshmen some players that can really play, and everyone they're going to have a lot more players stick around than we're used to with Summit League teams. Even if it means they finish 10th like I predicted, I think it's built the right way in Kansas City. I think we're going to see a jump with that team similar to what we've seen with Denver in the last couple of years. It, it, it wouldn't shock me, Todd. Uh, we've talked about coach Menzies coming into the league with his resume with his experience with his success I, I I have no doubt in my mind that he and his staff will do a great job of saying you know what we have nothing to lose we are young we're the youngest team in the league I don't know I don't know if they are I'm just going to say that he can say that until someone proves him wrong let's go out and, and, and play the right way Let's do this. Let's get after people. Let's make it a tough game for them anytime they come into Kansas City. And I've always said that the most difficult team to play against is a team with nothing to lose. Kansas City comes into this season with nothing to lose. And they will play. They will get out and get after you. They have length at the rim so they can pressure you on the perimeter and really get after you defensively. I, I'm not going to say they're going to play Coach Donlin defense, <laughs> which is <laughs> whatever. But I, I, I won't won't shock me to see them really get after people defensively force them to really attack the rim have some rim protectors there um i'm 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 excited to watch them develop i'm excited to watch them to see how they can can grow their talent it'll be interesting to see what they can do this season um if they can find a way to not finish in the in the bottom three of the league i think that's a big win for kansas city this season to answer your question directly todd um they're going to find the players they're going to find them whether they're on the roster now or they're not you don't put together the type of resume that coach Menzies and coach Esposito have without finding players. It's non-negotiable. They'll find them. And I, and I do think they're probably on this roster. The question is, will they find them in December in February this off season? We'll see. That's the biggest question with freshmen is at what point do you, do they become players that you can count on and not just maybe get contributions from them from time to time? The problem is, is they only have freshmen pretty much. You know, they, they have, you know, Anderson Cop who's going to provide some leadership for them this year. But, I mean, big picture, that's what they have this year. This year, they're investing. They're dumping all their playing time into these freshmen. And right at the time this conference starts to turn and they get some of these players to stay, you know, if they have 11 freshmen, if they start to have four or five that become the core and stay out of that group, they're doing great. And I think that's the theory here. And I think it's a great long-term play. I just don't know what that timeline is. I don't know if it's going to be in time to be impactful this year. It might be, but that's what we just don't know right now. Right. Yeah. That's where I kind of fell with it. 
also. Well, we're we're at about time at this point, and I, I knew this would be a time where we could sit and talk about this forever. I could still talk about five other things. Uh, next week, we are planning on being a little more player-centric, so some player predictions, whether it be first, second team, things like that. Maybe some surprise players and, and just a little more player-centric because we've talked a lot more teams. And then in a couple of weeks, I am working on something pretty cool if we can get it put together that would be a kickoff right before the season gets going uh, more to come on that but I, we're looking at some doing something very different than we have in the past um, so more to come on that but for this week i think we'll wrap up and i'll talk to you guys next week i look forward to it and zach i wish you and i both knew what todd was working on but i guess he'll <laughs> dump us on it dump it on us in some time in the future <laughs> Hey, it's like Christmas morning, man. I'm looking forward to it. You know, Todd just keeps raising the bar every single time. And, you know, the, it just kind of the platform becomes bigger and bigger. And it's just it, it's great what it's becoming, you know. And, and I think we're I think everybody's having fun with it. I think it's great that nobody takes themselves necessarily too seriously. And, you know, if you guys disagree with us, great. Tell us, you know, we're not trying to be an echo chamber here. Show yeah. us why we're going to be wrong. Point something out and we can have some fun with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Until next week.